electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. We are inside the tech trade as one group surges, another sinks. What does all of that mean to your money in the final stretch of the year? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Surat Sethi, Josh Brown, Pete Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall, check stocks. NASDAQ hasn't had back-to-back one-plus percent decline since March. That's how long it's been, and that's what we're working on right now because the NASDAQ's under serious pressure yet again. Down 178, a loss of 1.1 percent. Dow's still green. S&P's negative. The yield's been ticking up, too. And really, ever since Jay Powell was renominated for Fed chair, yield on the 10 years now 166. So, Josh, I'm wondering how you're thinking now about the Nasdaq. Um, look, I've got stocks like you own CrowdStrike, for example, from 295 to 227 in a matter of two weeks. And there are so many other stocks that are in a similar boat. How concerned should we be? Yeah, I think it's interesting. You have the indexes right near all-time highs, but that's almost all thanks to the mega cap uh, tech communications and consumer discretionary names. Below the surface, there are there are a hundred stocks I can think of that are now down more than fifty percent. Many of which were the darlings of twenty twenty and early twenty twenty one. So, like specifically, I'm thinking about Teladoc, Zoom. Zillow, Peloton, the IPO index is breaking down. Mm -hmm. The SPAC ETF looks like junk. That is, I I think, uh, healthier than you would think. And the reason why I say that's healthy is there were a lot of stocks masquerading as technology stocks and kind of rallying uh, with technology that really aren't technology. Um, Zillow is an example. It's like an advertising business for realtors. I, I think like uh, Peloton is another great example. Like literally, it's a fitness bike with an iPad attached. It's not tech. And these stocks spent a year to a year and a half rallying with tech as though they were doing something cutting edge. And there are so many examples of that. So I think what you're seeing now, companies with real technology, uh, like in, in the Fang Group, like NVIDIA, for example, they're hanging high. And then you're seeing... You know, a lot of names that have already crashed by 50 percent still crashing. And I think that's just investors being more selective and not just playing this game where every growth stock is automatically going to go up. So I think it's more healthy than maybe the price action would suggest. And I'm perfectly okay with it. Pete, um, you know, to Josh's point and to build on it this month alone, 
Zillow's down 48. Mm -hmm. Teladoc, which he mentions, down 27. Roku, 24. DraftKings, 21. Robinhood, 20. Palantir, 20. Chegg's off 78% from its high. Zoom's down 57% from its high. Twilio, 40%. Square, 28%. And then you have the FANG stocks, which have done decidedly better. What I find so interesting is that you yes. continue to place your money in those stocks, even as they've had their own runs. For example, today, you're buying new Apple calls as that stock is basically yep. at a 52-week high. Yeah, and I like what I'm seeing there, too, because it looks like a name that wants to break out to the upside, especially when you're looking at the backdrop of what you and Josh were just talking about, which is all these incredibly three- and four-digit to PE-type names that are under pressure. Or maybe they don't even have a PE, but they're definitely under pressure. And you just mentioned a lot of those various names. Peloton, a lot of these, Scott, we always kind of basically lean on the idea that many of these names that we're talking about here are literally those stay-at-home stocks. Well, as we've opened up, and obviously over the last few months, things have gotten a little bit better, a little bit better. I know we've had some bumps in the road as well, but the reality is a lot of those names aren't quite living up to what they had already gotten themselves to in terms of some of those valuations. When we look at something like a Peloton that was pushing up towards 200, and now it's just been getting bashed almost every single day. I mean, I, I literally look at that stock and I I see it down four or five percent almost on a daily basis, it seems like. So I think that's just true of a lot of those kind of names that were probably way too far in front of themselves. And now people have gotten a little bit more comfortable. They've gone back to the fundamental stories of the Apples and Microsofts of the world. And I don't mind doubling up. I own the stocks. I own calls. Um, and I'm okay with that. And I look at even even the Facebooks. I mean, just take a look at it. Just a few weeks ago, Facebook was a stock that traded all the way down to 313. And now look at where it is. It was just trading 351 a couple of days ago. So it gives you a little bit of idea of what kind of, when we talk about velocity of movement, this is the velocity of the movement. And it's within a lot of different areas of the market. And we've had this great move from Apple. We've had Microsoft. Obviously, that's pretty much almost never taken even a pause. And then you've got names like Facebook that obviously are in the public eye all the time. They got pounded down. They've come right back as the metaverse company that they are. They've absolutely put, put themselves back into position where they're not too terribly far away from a 52-week high. So when I look at volatility going from 15 to 20, and I look at the volume, Scott, that have gone from averaging 39 million contracts per day to now averaging close to 47 million contracts a day. That tells me a lot about what people are very, very, they're shifting around, but we are seeing incredible volume. We're seeing the velocity of these moves. And I think it's a really interesting time as we get into the last part of the year. Will this continue? I kind of think it will. I think we'll continue to see the fundamental story be right for a lot of these big tech names. I feel like, Steph, that, you know, Pete is, is suggesting that this carnage is going to continue in the high growth, high valuation names. It's not going to hit the mega caps. And then you can extrapolate that, that it's not going to hit the overall market all that hard, because as long as the biggest stocks hold up relative to what the others are doing in their own pullbacks, then you don't have a huge market event as a result. Well, as you know, I'm underweight tech, I'm underweight comm services and software. I am overweight in semis. And my most recent purchase of all the fangs is Facebook on that drop that Pete was just talking about. But I think what you have to look at, you have to step back and you have to look at the macro. That's what I do in terms of my sector allocations and kind of big picture thinking. And I look at economic growth. I look at inflation. I look at Fed policy as well as interest rates and where I think they're all going. And I thought yesterday was very very interesting that Biden, Powell and Yellen all talked about curbing inflation. 
I mean, you know I have been saying this all year, that inflation is not transitory. Not all of it anyway, right? I don't think it's runaway, um, but it's elevated. That's the bad news. The good news is that economic growth is also elevated and above trend. And so if you add all of this up, you have a Fed that can taper more. You have a Fed that could probably raise rates sooner. And if they raise rates sooner, what does that, what does that do to the high multiple stocks, the high growth stocks, and even the FANG stocks? It's going to be more of a value market versus a growth market. And you can pick and choose whatever you want. Uh, as I said, I mentioned that I bought Facebook because it fell 18%. It's trading at 20 times. But Microsoft is trading at 37 times. Its valuation is the highest in 20 years. Amazon also is really expensive. So I think you really want to be careful in terms of tech because it's overowned and a lot of these valuations are hard to support. I, 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 as I said, semiconductors, I think, are more reasonable. I think enterprise IT spending stocks are, are good, like well, IBM and HPE and Cisco. Um, I like cybersecurity. So I think you can find ways and places in tech uh, to pick, and, uh, and that's what I'm doing. Let's, let's attack what you just said from a couple different couple different ways because Morgan Stanley's Katie Huberty is out with a note today suggesting that big tech is still under owned as you suggest it's over owned she says it's not that Apple Microsoft and Amazon's active portfolio weights or are one to two points below their S&P 500 weighting indicating shares are still under owned so you know I don't know what you do with that but that seems to be a pretty interesting piece of, of research not to mention the fact that it's almost like you can't even discuss Apple and Microsoft and some of these big fang names in the same way that you talk about other tech stocks. Because, yes, their valuations from a historical standpoint may be higher or the highest that they've ever been. They're still deemed by some to be cheap, if not value stocks, and at the same time, defensive. And that's why money's going to continue to go there. Well, I went and you have to say free cash flow because that's the other positive as well. Microsoft is 6.4% of the S&P 500. Okay, that's a big, big weighting. So I actually, I don't own any of it, right? Apple is a 5%, a 6% weighting in the S&P 500. I'm at 5%. So I still own a lot of Apple, but I'm not going to be overweight. I just don't think that's a prudent thing to do as a portfolio manager and being a diversified portfolio manager. I don't want to become the fang portfolio. That's just not my style. So, yes, I, I agree that maybe they're under-owned relative to their weightings, but they're still owned a lot, right? And I think that they're pretty discovered. So I, I just take issue with the fact that you want to be overweight all of these fangs, and I think you're just more vulnerable in a portfolio if you do. So, you can so, pick your spots. Scott, I'm picking my spots in Facebook, right? And I mm-hmm. own market weight in, in Alphabet. So those are the two that I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. But these others are harder to be overweight. Surat, you know, I guess part of my question is, are, are these high valuation stocks no touch? Is the current environment just going to be too volatile for them? If rates continue to rise, and they're up a fairly considerable amount in just a couple of days since the Powell renomination news came out, if that trend continues, how do you... How do you buy the? I'm not suggesting you sell what you have necessarily, but how do you put fresh money to work in that sort of environment? I think, Scott, I mean, you have to look at sustainability of earnings for some of these high value stocks. And, and you know, we, we throw all of them into one bunch. But if you look at kind of parse it out and say, all right, a lot of the stocks did really well at stay at home. But which ones have recurring revenue? Which ones have growing margins? And then say, what am I going to do with that going forward, given that we have a backdrop? 
of potentially higher rates that have started to go. So I don't think you throw all of them out. Uh, I mean, there are companies in there like a Roblox uh, that, that you can own, but you have to be very careful because I think what you're, you're also finding is that there are other parts of the market that are doing well and that will do well in the reopening and they will do well with rates moving up, staying where they are. So the opportunity there is going to be in other places, but it doesn't mean that you run away from the fangs and some of the other stocks that I think have good opportunity, but you have to be very careful for some of the stocks that we mentioned before, the Zooms, the Pelotons of the world, because what are they going to look like in three to five years? And if you have rates where they are, will those valuations sustain? Look, what, what Mike Santoli started yesterday right here with us talking about this bifurcated market, the under-the-surface high valuation, high growth stocks that have really peeled back while the fangs have held up is what Jonathan Krinsky is talking about today, wondering whether the bifurcation grows wider or does it resolve itself with some mean reversion. He says the weak names have been getting weaker, the ARC stocks, the kinds of names that we read you at the top, and the strong names have been getting stronger. In a healthy market, the rotation allows the laggards to participate, he says. When that doesn't happen, crowding becomes more prevalent, and to some extent, that's what's happened over the last couple of weeks in the FANG stocks and, and the NASDAQ. I just wonder, Josh, if you feel like the overall, I know you said the move was healthy, and I think you used that word. Um, if it continues in this direction, though, does it start to get sick? Yeah, I think that's the right way to frame the question. It's like, it's like you, 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 you could believe one of two things. You could say the damage is being contained to the areas where stocks were selling at the highest valuations um, combined with stocks that had good results and just were up too much. Like you could say that, um, and so far that's been true. And so the question is, eventually, does it have to hit the fangs before it's over? Or if the fangs hang up here and this correction abates in the rest of the market, is that the signal for that year-end melt-up or year-end rally or whatever? It seems pretty binary. Like somebody's going to be very right, somebody's going to be very wrong. If we had Tom Lee today, I know, I know which answer he would, he would, uh, he would give. Um, I don't know that I'm that confident that I have the right answer. But what I would say to you is it's not just the fangs that are hanging in there. If you look at Home Depot, you look at Lowe's, you look at Costco, the best reads on the consumer, I think, in the entire market, those stocks look wonderful, even amidst all this carnage. Um, NVIDIA is up 143% year to date. It's not really giving much back here. Apple just went on a hilarious run. That stock, uh, at a $2.6 trillion market cap, you would understand why people would be selling it and using it as a source of cash to do other stuff. But even despite that, the stock's not really giving up that much ground. And in the meanwhile, on a day like today with all this red in the NASDAQ, the XLF and the XLE are getting the job done for you. The cyclicals look good. So that rotation that we've been talking about all year is still very much intact. And, you know, th this question of whether the big guys can hold up throughout this correction, I would say if the rotation continues, there's, there's no reason why they couldn't. And so far, that's what we're seeing on our screens right now. Let me ask you quickly before I move on. I mean, I mentioned CrowdStrike at the top of the show, and someone wanted me to ask you specifically about it. On Twitter, if somebody followed you into a name like that, and let's just use that as an example, for a stock in two and a half weeks that's gone from what, what did I say, two ninety-five to two thirty-seven, what do you do? 
Well, what you do is you don't anchor to the 295 because I've been talking about the stock since 100 um, is, is the first thing. The second thing is if you're an investor in the company like I am, uh, this is an opportunity to be buying it. If you're a trader, I can't help you. I never went into it as a trade. So I'm an investor. I've been in the stock with many 20% corrections along the way. I would imagine that might be my future for the rest of time that I continue to hold the stock. And I think it's got to be in the portion of your portfolio that you expect high beta, high volatility. That's what this is. It's never masqueraded as, as something other than that. It's a high valuation, high growth, high beta uh, stock. And it's not meant to be in place of a REIT or a bond. So I think most people understand that and have positioned themselves in it if they, if they bought it accordingly. Pete, what uh, I, company hasn't reported earnings yet, by the way. Earnings are... Mm-hmm. Uh, coming up. So I think that's a, a potential upside catalyst, hopefully. You know, Pete, I, I find so interesting as we talk about sort of, you know, going further into Apple and Microsoft, as you did with these new calls at the top of the show, you're still buying new calls in, you know, what some people say is the most frothy part of the market, and that's EVs. It's new lucid yes. calls that you rolled up to the November 48. Uh, it's ChargePoint new calls. It's Neo new calls. It's new Ford calls after a huge run in, in that stock. Can you take me through your thought process there where you can have sort of half your brain, if you will, say these, as you say, no P.E. stocks uh, make you nervous. Yeah. And then the other half of your brain say, well, yeah, but I still like these opportunities from an option standpoint even if it's really frothy. Sure. And that's exactly right, Scott. And, and there are ways that you can use the options in a lot of different ways. You can do spreads. You can do a lot of different things to be able to attack something that you want to be a part of. I will tell you this. It's been about, for the EVs, it literally was a light switch. And I know I brought this up before, but I'm going to tell you again. About two and a half, three weeks ago, energy names completely stopped. It was, crude was trading close to 85 dropped all the way down, and we just haven't seen a resurgence of those kinds of names hitting the way that they were, and that was going on for an entire year. Meanwhile, in the EV space, it was Tesla originally, obviously, and a lot of other names started to come in as we got deeper into summer and we got a little bit more into the fall. And then over the last, like, three or four weeks or so, Scott, it has been one name after another somewhere involved in the EV space. So I just kind of look at this as part of the rotation that we have talked about. We, and Josh was talking about this rotation, healthy rotation. When we say healthy, it's from one sector to another sector to another sector and that kind of movement. So right now we are seeing a little less from energy. And obviously energy will react each and every day. If we see the price of crude go up like we are today, of course, energy is going to look very, very solid. You can look at those beta names in energy, the Devons, the Occidentals and all the rest of those. They're going to absolutely fly on days like today. But overall, we have seen EV buying day after day after day, and they keep coming for names like Lucid. Tesla continues to be much more active than you could ever imagine. I've been talking about these volumes for a really long time in Tesla, Scott, where they're easily more than a million contracts a day. Many days, they're even over two million contracts. So it gives you a little bit of an idea of how much attraction there is right now in the EV space where we're seeing so much unusual option activity buying upside. And by the way, they aren't extremely expensive oftentimes. As a matter of fact, I look at a lot of these as as a great opportunity, risk-reward-wise, 
guys mm -hmm. when they work. And when they work, they really work. But there are, it doesn't mean every time they buy, they're right. There comes a point where they're absolutely wrong, and maybe now is the time. But they've had a really nice run for the last three weeks or so. So apropos to our conversation, CNBC Investing Club with Jim Cramer says you want low multiple stocks right now. And it says you should buy into some of the non-tech weakness. Pete, I bring it up because you mentioned it in passing, mm -hmm. uh, or somebody did, and maybe it was Josh as well, about the financials. Pete, you bought the XLF calls. Um, financials have been yeah. trading, obviously, since rates started moving higher in the last few days. Fin financials got a bid the minute that, that Powell was renominated. Morgan Stanley's on the Kramer list. 100%. XLF is new for you. Yeah, and the reason, Scott, is this. I already have some great exposure in terms of some of the financials, and I believe in the financials going to the upside. At some point in time, we'll see a little bit more of a lift to the upside. But I look at some of those names within the XLF and some of those names that we, we always throw into the banks and all the rest of it, the J.P. Morgans and so forth. Love those names. But at some point in time, it seems like some of the other names can be the better participants in the move to the upside, especially as we watch rates start to start to make a little bit of a move. We have to see if that continues or not. But I like the XLF. They bought in size not too terribly long ago, Scott. And because of that, that's what drew me in. I don't want to be in ETFs. I'd rather be in individual names because I think those individual names are going to give me far more beta. But occasionally, I just can't find the right betas. And when I saw the XLF call buying that we had seen, I wanted to do something else. I wanted to do J.P. Morgan. But I don't like the price to earnings right now. I, I think there's a lot of different names out there where they seem a little bit more, uh, they're a little higher than they had been in the past. And because of that, I think that I just wanted the overall XLF in this particular case. So that's why I bought those calls. Stock was trading or the ETF was trading around 39 at the time, and they were buying upside calls. I'm in those calls as well. I got you. 1% day for the XLF. All right, Surat, let's go through some of your moves before we take a break. Uh, you bought more XBO. I know you've been in that a long time because you mentioned it on the show. And you bought more Uber also. Take me through why. So XBO, Scott, they had mis-execution quarter. The stock sold off. Uh, Brad Jacobs, we had a call with him just a few days ago. And, and look, the, the reason for the, for the mis-execution was they just couldn't deal with the amount of demand they have. And that hurt their customers. And, and essentially what management now is committed to raising margins, bring down their debt, their 2.8 times leverage, and, and really restructure European operations. So trading at nine times EBITDA when their competitors are trading at 15 to 20, I think there's an opportunity here. Uh, for a missed, uh, you know, quarter. Uber, on the other hand, if you look at, uh, they've been doing everything right. They've gotten rid of all their businesses that are money losing. They are making money in mobility. They're making money in Uber Eats. They're actually putting money behind Uber Freight. The stock hasn't moved anywhere. You had the CEO just buy nine million of their stock last week, and I think this is one of those things that takes two steps back and then three, two steps forward, three steps back because. It's a reopening play that I think is just people are it's misunderstood. Uh, it's a stock that people are, are not really understanding. And I think when they execute like they did in the last quarter and they did everything they said, I think you're going to do well. But this is an investment. This is not a trade into the end of the year. This one you will be rewarded in the next couple of quarters. Josh, you've added to Uber recently as well. I agree with everything Sriracha said. If you're looking at it as a trade, this is one of the, the messiest, sloppiest charts you'll find. There's no signal there. So I'm looking at it as an investment, just like Serrat is, and they are executing. And I do believe the quarter that we're currently in, the fourth quarter, will be their first actual quarter of profitability. And I think if and when they signal that or announce that, uh, the stock should really be in a place where we've seen the lowest we'll ever see. Um, and I think there's a lot for them to build on. 
on both the eat side and the ride side. So I'm looking at this as a long-term situation. I think they're basically becoming a next, a next generation utility, like that a lot of other businesses are gonna be built on top mm -hmm. of. So mm -hmm. I, I really like it from, from that standpoint. All right, we'll take a break. Still ahead, Pete has unusual activity, plus another company going public via SPAC, the men's grooming retailer, Manscaped, the CEO and the person leading that SPAC. The sponsor joins us next. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Deliberations have begun in the trial of three men charged with killing Ahmad Arbery. Prosecutors wrapping up their arguments, saying that the men cannot claim self-defense when they were the unjustified aggressors. Defense attorneys claim that Arbery died while resisting a citizen's arrest by the defendants. One confirmed death after a fire and explosion at a home in Flint, Michigan. Fire officials say that two people are still missing, although one may have been found safe. Three other houses suffered major damage, the explosion spewing debris across an entire block. And in New York, preparations for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade are well underway. Officials say that there are no credible threats, but just like previous years, some 360,000 pounds of concrete barriers are being placed along the parade route. And on the news, holiday shoppers ticking items off their list. Get a look at four ways the shopping experience has changed since the pandemic began. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, appreciate it very much. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. All right, the men's grooming company, Manscaped, going public today via a $1 billion SPAC deal with Bright Lights Acquisition Corp. For more on the company in the current SPAC environment, we are joined by the SPAC sponsor, Mike Mahan, and the CEO of Manscaped, Paul Tran. Guys, welcome. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you, Scott. Great yeah. to be here. Mike, you first. Um, why this company and how long did it take you to find it? We think we found a very special company in Manscaped. Um, it's extraordinary what they've been able to do in a rel relatively short period of time. In three years, they went from just $3 million of revenue to nearly $300 million of revenue. They only raised $23 million of equity which is just an extraordinary achievement. 
We were fortunate enough to find them relatively early on in the process. One of their board members called us and said, I think I've got your SPAC company. And I said, oh yeah, tell me about it. And we just couldn't believe what we were hearing. We did a lot of work around the company to validate everything that they told us. And we were pleasantly surprised when it checked out. Yeah. You know, Paul, um, the numbers are astounding. I I had to do a double take myself. When you go from 3 million in trailing 12-month revenues in 2018 to 300 million today, and then you have optimistic projections of 500 million by 2023, how in the world did you do it? And how do you get to that even bigger number? Thank you, Scott. Um, Well, we did it by obsession. We obsess over making the, the very best products for men. And I think that that obsession carries through to our customers and um, and our million members. And we now have an active um, million members in our, in our subscription program. You know, we started in the groin, but we've expanded so quickly, well beyond the groin, into the rest of the male body. We've earned our customers' permission to take care of them from head to toe, and that's exactly how we got here um, profitably. And, uh, and how we're going to continue to, to grow in the future years. Yeah. The, as you just said, you are profitable, um, which, which some people may not realize. Um, how much of a big spend, though, do you need to do now to get to the projections that you've laid out for your investors? Well, what's really exciting is that we're actively deploying $100 million on marketing and media a year. But what's, what's really special about us is that we're recouping that, that customer acquisition cost extremely quickly. So as soon as a customer purchases one of our products online, we're already recoup, we've already recouped that CAC. And, um, and 70% of those customers opt in to becoming a subscriber. Um, Mike, you know, look, we, we showed the stock. It's getting a, a, a bump as, as we're having this conversation, uh, which is, you know, maybe not a surprise. It is under 10, though. Uh, what does that say about the current SPAC environment? Uh, a lot of people chasing and looking for similar deals. There it is. It's, it's a little over 10 now. But you know my point. Look, I think the SPAC market is, is challenging right now. And I think that, you know, our view is the cream is going to rise to the top. And we just think that we have an extraordinary company and, and you know, maybe it took a little longer um, than we would have liked. But this is a fantastic company, a, a tremendous partnership, and we just couldn't be more bullish on the future. You have as your pipe or including in the pipe uh, the actor Channing Tatum, who I want to talk more about in a second, the Endeavor Group and, and Guggenheim. Why the the Tatum involvement is interesting to me. You did. Uh, deals with celebrities before the Ryan Reynolds deal with Aviation Jim, Kim Kardashian's deal with Skims. This, though, is a little bit different than your typical celebrity endorsement deal, isn't it? Yeah, well, we really view it as celebrity partnership. And, you know, Skims was a fantastic investment led by our co-chairman, John Howard, Aviation Jim with Ryan Reynolds, uh, led by our other co-chairman, Alan Shapiro. And, And those investments were terrific. And those really focused on one celebrity. We're really focused on a multi-celebrity strategy because this brand, this company is global, and we think that you have to have global celebrities, you have to have regional celebrities. Um, you're going to see a lot of, of announcements with respect to celebrities in the future from us in the coming months ahead. Paul, you mentioned your growing sub-business, your subscription business. I know you're available in a, in a bunch of big-name retailers, but how quickly is the subscription business growing now, and, and how fast do you need it to grow? And I ask you that wondering about, you know, a guy like Pete, for example, that thing he has on his chin. You, you said you're expanding your products. Can we, can we show Pete? Pete, I don't know <laughs> if you know this company oh, very God. well or, or not, but 
You know, I'm sure there's a time or two where that thing needs to be groomed, don't you think? It, it, it does, yes. And indeed, it does. So I need to get a hold of these guys. <laughs> You're right. How fast, though, is the, sub, the subscription business, this recurring revenue business, growing? The, the subscription business is doing really well, Scott. It, we, it went from 20% to 40%. So this year, 40% of our D2C revenue is from VP business. Yeah. Well, guys, congratulations. I, I know it's a big day for you. We're, we'll continue to follow the story. Uh, Mike Mahan, uh, Paul Tran, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you, Scott. We appreciate All it. Right. Thank you, Scott. All right. Up next, Pete, speaking of, has his latest unusual activity. We're back right after this. Bank of America is bullish on several multi-industrial companies as potential winners from the bipartisan infrastructure package. The firm believes the $7.5 billion of spending allocated towards electric vehicle infrastructure will drive EV adoption and provide a boost for the stocks of Eaton Corp, ITT, 3M, and Rockwell Automation. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we have unusual activity now. Pete, I hope you're not mad at me, Pete. You know I was just playing around, right? all good man it's all it's absolutely fantastic well, i mean i probably need that is. harry's thing or one of these things <laughs> yeah it is what it is you're exactly right all right so unusual option activity other than my chin um micron technology now this one's interesting scott because when you look back just in the last month this stock was 68 dollars at the st- a month ago and here it is today trading closer somewhere between 85 and 87 dollars a share but we're seeing some gigantic call buying in there yesterday they bought 22,000 of the 85 strike calls Today, they're back once again in Micron. They're buying 8,000 of the 87 strike calls that expire on Friday. So they're very aggressively positioning into Micron as this <laughs> stock is up towards the highs. Back in April, it was a $95 stock. So we're not quite at the highs right now, but we're not that far away. Stock's been on a really nice move to the upside. Starbucks is my second one. So Starbucks, we're seeing some pretty good activity as well. Stock was trading right around 113.50, maybe a little bit less than that. We had a buyer of 9,300 of the December 3rd expiring 117 calls. 
So they're looking for a little more upside. They're looking for a little bit of time. And that's what we're seeing right now in Starbucks. Those are going for about 50 cents up to about 70 cents. I got one last one for you, Scott, because we were talking about the EV space. I've got multiple different names hitting in front of my screens right now. One of them is Neo. Neo hit yesterday with some sizable buying yesterday. They're also buying again today in Neo. And as a matter of fact, they bought 18,000 of Friday's expiring 43 strike calls. So they, when I say they continue to come after all of these different EVs and they're coming in size, this is a great example of that. They were buying yesterday, they're buying again today, and they just continue to buy into the EV space. It's been incredible. I think I mentioned earlier your Neo buy. Did, did you buy the Friday 43s also? Is that specifically what it was? I have the 42s that I bought, which was yesterday, and then I've got these 43s that are hitting today. Oh, so wow. okay. I, I have the 42s already. But it's, it's amazing, Scott. It just one after the other after the other, I see different names in the EV space or the lithium space just continuing to hit on the unusual side of things. All right. Unbelievable. All right, Pete, thank you. Straight ahead, NFL player and the member of CNBC's Financial Wellness Council, Brandon Copeland. He'll join us. We'll talk about his latest tool to help spread financial literacy and much more. We'll do it next. Welcome back. CNBC has partnered with Acorns, the saving and investing app on a financial wellness and education initiative called Invest in You. Ready, set, grow. Our next guest is a familiar one, Brandon Copeland. He's a linebacker with the Atlanta Falcons, also a member of our Financial Wellness Council, back with us live today. It's good to see you as always. Always, Scott. Pleasure to see you, man. I can't believe you're with us today after you have a new baby boy just born yesterday. Braylon, congrats to you and your wife. Thank you. I appreciate it. He was actually born a couple of weeks ago, oh. but it feels like yesterday with the way he's crying. Man. He's, <laughs> I, hope, I hope you're trying. I hope you're getting some sleep. I don't know if it's your first, but best to you and your and your family, your growing family. Uh, tell me about this money, music and culture podcast that you have all around financial literacy, which we know is so near and dear to you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. We, we've been trying to find more ways to educate people on money right and and obviously you know being a professor and talking there sometimes to be honest with you my eyes are glazing over when i'm talking about the interest rates on bank accounts versus you know checking and savings and all that stuff so we're just trying to find my, my co-host and i ross mack uh we we're trying to find more ways interesting ways to talk about money so we decided what better way than to use the universal language of music to then dive in deeper to financial education topics. So when, you know, we're listening to music, listening to Jay-Z, Nipsey Hussle, Beyonce, some of our favorite artists, right? Um, but, you know, breaking down the lyrics. So, so when Beyonce says, pay me an equity, well, not too many people know that she performed at Uber before they were public. And instead of being paid $6 million to perform, she was paid $6 million in stock. And when it went public, it was worth a lot more than $6 million, right? So just kind of sharing gems through music, which is something that I personally love. So you you have five episodes thus far, um, not to name all of the names of them, but I'm recession proof. Play the game or let the game play you how to improve your credit just to give people an idea of the kinds of topics that you're talking about. And it's pretty wide ranging, it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. We literally will come to the, to the set and come to a shoot 
with a couple of songs in mind. We'll literally listen and then we'll let the conversation flow from there. So, again, it's a very it's layman's terms. Right. It's it's a conversation. Um, so I really hope everybody checks it out. It's on YouTube, Spotify, Apple. You can listen or you can watch it. Um, but it's it. We go through a lot of different emotions and conversations in there from how to build wealth for your children, um, ways that you're setting up. You know, for me, I have a newborn. What am I doing to make sure that he's financially free for the rest of his life? Right. Um, to, again, what makes up your credit score? Right. So we were with wide range of topics, but we launch We go. We release every Tuesday at noon. So a new episode every Tuesday. OK. Uh, Josh Brown is, is one of my panelists. You, you, you may know uh, Josh, uh, music, culture, personal finance. This sounds like it's right up your alley. Yeah, it is. And uh, Brandon, I first became aware of your story through the Earn Your Leisure guys. I think you were on the show a couple of years back for the first time. And I just found it really admirable that you were able to save so much of your salary. And I feel as though you were early to this because in 2020, all of a sudden, everybody got interested in markets and investing and entrepreneurship. But you've been on this for longer than that. How do you feel about all of the new voices um, that are now giving people advice, some of them giving good advice, some of them giving questionable advice? Like, how do you how do you cut through all of that, um, given how loud the conversation around entrepreneurship has gotten uh, on the Internet, on Instagram, TikTok, et cetera? Yeah, great question, Josh. One, I would love to have you as a guest on the show. Um, you as well, too, Scott. I'm in. Um, Done. Two, it's it's one of the toughest things in the world because especially when you're you're learning about this stuff and like you said, there's clubhouses. I've sat in some clubhouses and I've been like, what are they saying right now? You know, um, what I try to do is personally, I try to lean on the 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 people who I admire, not just admire, but I can see multiple people backing up the information that they're saying, and I never make an investment decision or a financial decision after one person has told me something. And yeah, sometimes that might make me late to the party, uh, but I'd rather be late and keep my money um, than be early and be <laughs> be the guy everybody's laughing at. So um, I try to make sure that I'm getting my information backed up by multiple people and confirmed. And then also, as everybody knows, confirm it with your own advisors and, and you know, personal people who, who represent your best interests. So, um, but yeah, no, that's a great question because, you know, the Earn Your Leisure guys, Rashad and Troy, they're doing amazing things. I've seen your episode with them. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of people who I think are capitalizing on uh, the lack of barriers to giving information nowadays. Right. You can everybody can look like a, a expert um, if they pay for followers. We um, <laughs> we we. We love what you're doing in terms of educating people, especially in this area, and also what you do uh, in the community. And I want to leave on that note by letting everybody know what you and your wife did yesterday in terms of your Beyond the Basics Be a Blessing uh, Foundation. Uh, from 5 to 7 last night at a public store, a, shop, uh, a grocery store in Atlanta, you paid for the entire store's groceries, uh, up to $21,000 worth. Um, so I, that's just an incredible thing that you are doing. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Continue to be a a great person in the community that you are. Well, happy Thanksgiving, Scott, Josh. And best of luck with your new baby. We'll talk to you soon. That's Brandon Copeland. For more, 
Invest in you. Go to cnbc.com forward slash invest in you. We should note that NBC Universal and Comcast Ventures are investors in Acorns. Well, retail today, speaking up, Best Buy and Dick Sporting Goods both tanking double digits. We have ownership on the committee. Find out what they're doing next. Shares of Best Buy, take a look at them, down 15% today. The retailer beat earnings estimates. Gross margins, though, slipped from a year earlier, and sales forecasts for the holiday quarter were below estimates. Steph, what do you do with this? You own it. It was up 30% since October. So it had a huge run. Expectations were quite high. I thought the quarter was fine. They beat on a solid comp of 2%, but the whisper number was 4%. Um, the guide, as you mentioned, Scott, disappointing on the comp line. They bracketed earnings to, relative to the street, but the comp line uh, was disappointing. And I think some people think that the third quarter pulled, in, pulled forward from the fourth quarter. So I'm going to just let the set, dust settle for here for a little bit. But I think at 12 times earnings, they're doing all the right things, restructuring, cutting costs, and that sort of thing. So I'm a buyer on weakness in the next couple of days. Pete, you sold your Best Buy calls last week. Yeah, which was good and bad, Scott. I mean, the stock continued to move to the upside, it was, that which is the bad part. But the good part is now it's made a pretty significant move to the downside. I think to what, what Steph's talking about, I actually look at these numbers as not as bad as the interpretation of a 15% move to the downside. Stock's too cheap. I'm looking at it again in terms of how do I want to position? Do I want to do it through stock or options? So I'm, I'm definitely looking at that right now, Scott. All right. The other stock getting hammered today is Dick's Sporting Goods. Despite an earnings beat there, Steve Weiss has talked about this stock multiple times. Uh, and he joins us now on the phone. Uh, Weiss, you know, Kramer said the, the quarter was perfect. Um, it's just not good enough. I mean, what's the story? Why the pullback on what was such a good quarter? You know, Scott, I really don't understand. I think perfect was actually an understatement. Uh, they beat top line. They beat bottom line. They raised numbers for the fourth quarter in excess, meaningfully in excess of what the beat was. In, in comparison to some others that we've seen, like Target and Best Buy, which I think shouldn't have sold off either, uh, margins went up. And they're in phenomenal condition going into the Christmas season, which they already said is going better than expectations because inventories are up 7%. So they have a leading market share in their segment, and they have preferred relationships with all the major vendors and some spectacular partnerships, including the one recently announced with Nike. So what I did was I'm not waiting I bought the stock a few times today, most recently at 124. Mm. I also bought some at 129. Uh, I had a core position going on, going in. So this is just going to be a trading position on top of that. But, you know, usually you can find some reason why it sold off. And in this, I just have well, no idea. I think it's the market. I'm, I'm, looking, at, I'm looking at a big number uh, year-to-date gain, which may be all you need to know. And it's up like 130%. Year to date. Um, so you have to wonder how much of the gain was already in, how much was pulled forward. Maybe some of the business was pulled forward. I mean, Best Buy is talking about the similar, a similar dynamic of, of having to contend with even when you have pretty good results. You know, that's a good point. However, uh, despite the stock being up that high, as I mentioned last time before, it's cheaper now than it's ever been because earnings estimates have gone up 50%. Uh, their guidance. So right now I've got a stock that's trading at about eight times earnings that uh, that grew sales uh, this quarter 12 percent when the estimates with the, were that they were going to grow sales 1.9 percent. So 
they don't believe they pulled anything forward just continuing strengthening in the franchise. So, yeah. all right. it's an opportunity is all I can say. All right, yeah. Well, no, clearly you put your money where your mouth is buying it twice today. Uh, I think 124 and 129 is where you said. It's 128 and 30 right now. Weiss, thank you. We'll see you back on the show shortly. I know we'll do uh, final trades next. All right, it's final trade time. Stephanie Link, you're first. American Express, it's a reopened name. Leisure spend has actually improved above 2019 levels, and now we're about to get business spend, T&E travel, into 22 and 23. This was a heavy investment year for them, so we're going to see operating leverage next year. 17 times earnings, I like it. Pete, Vistracorp at the bottom, I heard you just bought it. Yeah, the utilities. It's exciting for me because somebody's rolling a, st a trade that actually made them some nice money. So mm. they're going out to January 22 calls. I bought those as well. All right, Surratt. Uh, Morgan Stanley, I think it's stocks going to re-rate amongst the financials. Uh, watch for this, too. too. All right. Uh, well, in, the, in, in, the, in the Kramer camp. Uh, Josh Brown. Uh, best chart of all the financials is still J.P. Morgan Chase. I think we see new highs before year end. All right. Good stuff, everybody. Thank you. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.